Hi there, you're listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. TCC, a home for you. Good morning, everybody. Uh, Man, it is a joy to be in the house of the Lord this morning and praising uh, God to all the things that he deserves. If you don't know me, my name is Tyler. I'm the student pastor here, which basically means I play nine square for a living. Play four square for a living, spike ball, I dunk on kids. That's literally all I do. Uh, it's pretty great. No, but you have me today. That's going to be awesome. I am very, very honored to be here with you today. We are going to jump right in to some scripture. So if you got your word with you, pull that sucker out right now. And I want you to flip over to Isaiah 40, 26 through 28. Uh, I will stall as long as I can to let you find that. That's about middle in your Bible. So go. Um, stalling. If you have our app, our TCC app, you can find my notes on there. Um, if you have the Version app of the Bible, you can also find this service in the live events. If you search TCC, it'll pop up and you can find all the notes there. Is that enough time? Did you find Isaiah? Did you find it? Awesome. Um, this, whole, um, this whole series is called Beyond the Undomesticated Attributes of God. And I love this series right now because what we're talking about literally are things that we cannot humanly comprehend. We try our best, I know, and we're all smart here. I'm less smart than all of you because I'm the student pastor, I get it. Um, But the undomesticated attributes of God is meant to be undomesticated, which means we cannot control them, which means we do not understand them fully. And what I love about this series is that we're diving into things that literally sit outside of the realm of our brain sometimes. And, and I think this scripture sums up a portion of what we're going to talk about today very, very well. So if you're in Isaiah, uh, verse 26 says this, look up into the heavens. Who created all the stars? He brings them out like an army, one after another, calling each by its name. Because of his great power and incomparable strength, not a single one is missing. Verse 27, oh Jacob, how can you say the Lord does not see your troubles? Oh Israel, how can you say God ignores your rights? Have you never heard, have you never understood? The Lord is the everlasting God, the creator of all of the earth. He never grows weak or weary. No one can measure the depths of his understanding. Amen. Father, we are thankful for you this morning. We are thankful that we get to gather here and we get to hear your words and hear your heart. I pray that our, um, our hearts collectively are prepared to um, hear from you and feel you. I pray that you bless um, my words and that they are your words. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. Let's jump into this. We're going to have a fun day today. Mindy, throw that slide up there. Throw that picture up there. Boom. Look at that picture. This is, this is very, very recently taken. No, I did not take this picture. NASA took this. Um, if I took this picture, then, hey, we're going to talk about something different today. What you are looking at right now is the deep field that um, the, the, the uh, new James Webb telescope took of space a couple weeks ago. How many of you guys know what Hubble is or what Hubble was? Right? I grew up with Hubble in my textbooks. All of the science pictures were Hubble pictures. It quite, quite literally, every picture of our galaxy before right now basically was from Hubble, ones that were clear enough to articulate things. But now we have this awesome, awesome, cool thing called the James Webb Telescope. And that is a picture of space. And here's the thing. What scientists say 
is that every dot on this black canvas that does not have any light protruding from the side are galaxies. How crazy. Is that mind-blowing? Every single little dot there. And what I think is fascinating about this picture is how crystal clear some of these things are. Now, you guys might say, like, oh, that's not super clear, but this is, like, in space. So the quality of this picture is outstanding. Mindy, can you throw up that other slide? This is in comparison to what we had before, and this is great. This is what I grew up with. This is awesome, but look at this picture. This, like, makes my heart sing, and it was pictures like this that created my love for pictures like this, which led to my love of science, my love of space, my love of the universe, my love of everything that, that makes up everything. Like, how fascinating is it to think that every single one of us in this room is made up of matter? What's matter? Nobody knows. But we're made up of it. I, I don't know how, but we are. How fascinating is that? You know what else is fascinating? Biology. The biology of everything. Do you know that trees and plants breathe? How crazy is that? Do you know all of these different things about sciences and all of the different sciences and all of the things that you can study, this, these pictures or pictures like this sparked a love interest of mine, which was the discovery of all things like sci-fi. And my love for sci-fi stretches into the world of superheroes and Marvel movies and Star Wars. How many Star Wars fans in here? Yep, come on. We all know. Um, my favorite thing as a kid is like you got Han Solo, you got Chewie right next to him. The Millennium Falcon takes off, punch at Chewie, and you go into like hyperdrive and you're flying and the stars are flying. Like small little dots like that are flying past your head, hyperspeed. I remember the first time that I watched a Marvel movie and I fell in love. I actually cried, I think. My dad pulled me out of school, whether it was legal or not, I don't know, but he pulled me out of school and we saw the OG Spider-Man movie with, 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 I literally almost said Tyler Harris, but it's not with Tyler Harris, it's with Tobey Maguire. I thought I was Spider-Man when I was eight, but I'm not Spider-Man. But I saw that movie and I was in the theater and there were tears of joy because I literally was like, oh my gosh, maybe I'm Spider-Man. That, that was literally my first thought. And then I went outside, and I'm doing all this stuff. I was like, dang. God, God, God gifted me in ways, but not that way, I guess. And that, and that I think, kick-started my love for not only science, but sci-fi and things that were fiction and things that, that, that sat outside of the realm of what we can comprehend. And when I saw these pictures pop up on Twitter, I think, it literally sparked a, a memory in me that I saw this movie that I absolutely love, and that movie is called The Martian. How many of you guys have seen The Martian with Matt Damon? If you haven't seen The Martian, I'm probably going to spoil it for you, but if you haven't seen it, you probably won't see it. So here we go. Here's the premise of The Martian. NASA finally gets to Mars, and there's a whole crew that goes, and their plan is to create a base there, and they're creating this thing where they can grow plants and grow potatoes, and they're trying to to, to, to create um, a homestead on Mars. Something bad happens, because every sci-fi movie, something bad has to happen. So something bad happens, and the crew has to get out of Mars, but guess what? They leave behind Matt Damon, the star that he is. They leave him behind, and he's stuck on Mars. And here's the whole premise of the movie. NASA is trying to figure out how to get supplies to Matt Damon so he doesn't die on Mars. That's literally the whole premise. Spoiler alert, he lives. 
So if you're going to see that movie, try to not remember that I told you that he does survive. <laughs> but the whole sub-premise of the movie is that Mars and Earth operate on different times. So like we have a 24-hour day, Mars has a different day because of rotation. We're not going to go into science, but because of a lot of sciencey stuff. Here's the thing, though. The, the bottom premise of the movie is that they're trying to get supplies to Matt Damon to survive so he does not die on Mars, but there is a discrepancy in the time between the two planets. So it's taking longer to get there than it actually is him on that planet succumbing to all of the problems. Does that make sense? So time is moving differently. And as I was watching this movie, and it was blowing my mind, because all sci-fi movies blow my mind, it's awesome, because I don't understand it at all, God began to speak to me um, a lot of truths about my love for, for science and space and the universe. And one of those truths basically boiled down to this statement, and that statement is, time and space and everything ever created that lives under anything that we can perceive or comprehend was part of God's creation. From the start of anything, every universe that you saw in, in that picture, any galaxy you saw, any star that you saw, when I see that picture, the first thing I think is not, how can I disprove this? The first thing that I think is like, thank the Lord that, that God is that big, that he created that. The vastness of, of universes, the vastness of biology. Again, I'm going to mention it again because it blows my mind. The vastness that we are made up of something that we don't even know. But we know that we are made. Therefore, we leave it as a question. And God began to, to give me this, this thing that was like, dude, I did that. I did all of that. And all the way to the point where he started to, to, to lay a foundation in me that was he existed before there was a such thing as time. Doesn't even make sense, does it? At all. And then I, and then I like we all do, I started asking questions. I was like, okay, God, what was before you then? You said you were before time. What was before you? And then I said, what's after you? And then I started to go down all these rabbit trails of like, okay, God, well, if I carry the one and I times it by four, are we like, no, I was not doing math. Math was not a strong suit of mine. <laughs> but it led me all the way to this realization that God, outside of everything that we understand, sits there, period. Because the reality is that's all that we can comprehend, like mentally, that's all that we have capacity for, is saying, God sits outside of it all, done. <laughs> because the, the, the further down, the deeper down we go to try to explain that God sits outside of it all, the harder it actually becomes for us to comprehend it. And it's funny because we're going to try to tackle that today. <laughs> we're going to try to maybe ask a question or two and see how deep we can get into the understanding of omniscience. That we're, that's what we're talking about today. The omniscience of God. The last few weeks, we've talked about how good God is. We talked about the omnipotence of God, which means um, his all-powerful nature. And today we're going to talk about omniscience, which means to know everything. And here's my one gripe, okay? I'm going to bear my soul. soul okay? I, think, I think that my dad set me up. I really do. 
Because of all of the omnis that God is, omniscient is the hardest by far. Oh my gosh. And somehow he thought like, hey, I'm, I'm going to take the easy way out and do all powerful because that's easy. And then he's like, I'm going to stick the youth pastor that plays nine square for a living. And I'm going to see if he can tackle the tall tale that is omniscience. It's not fair. But I guess that's why he's my dad and also my boss and also my pastor. He's all of the things. Oh my gosh. I'll, I'll step off of my soapbox. I get it. <sighs> Let me get a drink of water and we'll jump into this thing. Okay, omniscient. What does it mean? It means literally to know everything, knowing all things. The word omniscient combines two Latin roots, omni, meaning all or universally, and the verb sire in Latin means to know. So quite literally, to the, to, to the very depth of the word, it literally just means to know all or to know universally everything there is to know. And it's important to note that when we're talking about the omniscience of God, we need to see that, the time, that, that time, okay, this finite idea of time that we know can also equate to the amount of knowledge one can possess. So in our brains right now, I want us to be wide open to new things and wide open to, to, to God revealing new things. But I also want you to keep one thing at the front of your mind this, the whole time, and that is that time can equal knowledge. Think about this. We have a finite time span to acquire knowledge, don't we? We live on this planet. Some of us will be lucky to live to 70, 80, 90, if, 100 maybe. We'll see. Um, if you are, invite me to your birthday. Um, and in that time span, we have a finite amount to learn things, to acquire knowledge. And no matter how many PhDs you have, where's Dr. Dan Varnell? He might not be here today. If you don't know, Dr. Dan has like 17 PhDs. It's crazy. But no matter how many PhDs you have, or no matter how many YouTube videos you watch on the topic, like I do to try to fix my own car, doesn't work ever. Um, but I watch a lot of YouTube to see if I could figure, uh, yeah, okay. No matter how many videos you watch, we simply are bound by this truth, that our time here is finite on earth, period. No, no matter how much knowledge you want to acquire into your brain, there is a, a boundary. There's a boundary of knowledge that we will never be able to cross the threshold into simply because of finite time. Now, if you lived infinitely on earth, do you think that you could possess all of the world's knowledge and all of the universe's knowledge? And at first, when I asked this question to myself, I thought like, yeah, maybe, because you would be here infinitely. And guess what? The answer actually is still no. And the reason is because omniscience isn't based on time. But time is the only thing that we can perceive to quantify what knowledge is. How crazy is that? It's not the size of a brain it's not the size of a computer, because we know the sizes of those things, then that must mean that knowledge has to equate to a quantifiable number. And that turns into your life. How much time you spend on this planet acquiring things. And so omniscience isn't just based on time, but that's how we can perceive it. 
Omniscience is just an attribute that only a God or God himself can possess, period. It's the only way. Because it takes an infinite brain, and that's the key. It takes an infinite amount of space to acquire infinite amount of knowledge. We are stuck by finite bounds. Simply put, we were not, and I hate to break it to you, we were not even created to possess a full godly knowledge in the flesh here on earth. We weren't created for that. We were not created to possess all of what God knows while, while still being here on earth in the flesh. So my question while I was preparing this whole thing, and maybe it's your question too, why, where does that put God in all of this? God dwells simply in eternity, not in time, completely separate. He dwells outside of time. He dwells in eternity. And because he dwells in eternity, right, outside of what we perceive as time, he sees both the beginning and the end. And I'm not just talking about the beginning and end of this world. Here's where, you know, our minds, our finite boxes stop. He sees the beginning and the end of all things. All universes, all galaxies, all stars, all biology, all of matter, wherever matter is and wherever it comes from and and the mom that created it, I don't know. He sees it all. That's where that sits. And so while God does not dwell in our time, here's the thing that we can be blessed by. He comes into our time to spend time with us. He interacts with his creation in time, within the finite amount of time that we have. Although humans, and you're all smart, and, but, here, but here's the thing, although we cannot completely comprehend this, as much as we think right now, you're going, yes, you're right. <laughs> we cannot actually comprehend what's going on. And although we cannot completely comprehend how true it is, we get to see some scriptural examples of this omniscience that shows a lot about God and also, fun fact, he equates a lot of this to time phrasing. You know why? Because time is something that we can comprehend. Psalms, uh, Psalm 90 verse 4 says this, 1,000 years passed before your eyes like yesterday that quickly faded away, like a night's sleep soon forgotten. 2 Peter 3.8 says this, But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is a thousand years and a thousand years is one day. 2 Timothy 1.9 says this, He gave us resurrection life and drew us to Him by His holy calling on our lives. And it wasn't because of any good we have done, but by His divine pleasure and His marvelous grace that confirmed our union with the anointed Jesus even before time began. We're going to pause here for a second because something that I love in this passage is seeing the name Jesus next to the phrase that says, even before time began. Because I think we sometimes, right, we perceive Jesus, the Jesus that we know 2,000 years ago in the flesh, in our timeline. The scripture is saying that that Jesus was confirmed to be the appointed person even before time was established. How crazy is that? Or maybe Ephesians 1.4 says this too. It says, even before he made the world, God loved us and he chose us in Christ to be holy and without fault 
in his eyes, even before he made the world. And take a look at this one. 1 Peter 1.20 says this. He was chosen before the creation of the world. Do you know who he is? Jesus. He, Jesus, was chosen before the creation of the world, but was revealed in these last times, in our timeline, for your sake and my sake. Mind blown. He was chosen before the creation of time, but God revealed him in our finite time for our sake. And through him, you believe in God who raised him from the dead and glorified him. And so your faith and hope are in God. Before time began, Jesus needed to be with you. Before time began. And here's the crazy part, and this is why we're trying to tackle this today, is that God sits so far out of that that he sees Jesus being chosen and also given and delivered to you at the same time. But how lucky and beautiful is it that we were in that time that God revealed Jesus to. Amen. So we see all these scriptural examples of the omniscience of God, and honestly, it's overwhelming a little bit, right? It's hard to think about this idea that is time, and, 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 and that God chose time time phrasing to be the way that it would articulate into our hearts, right? There's no reason why God had to use and say, oh, well, one day is is 1,000 years, except for the fact that we understand that one day as 1,000 years, because we can perceive one day as, does it make sense? In other words, the physical universe that we see and hear and feel and experience was created not from just existing matter that just floated there, but from a source independent of the physical dimensions we can perceive. Like, boom, if we pause right there, we we could talk for another four hours on the idea that there are dimensions that we perceive, which then also must mean the flip side, which is there's dimensions we can't perceive. And God came from that space. God comes from a space not from existing matter. He existed before matter. He existed before the single points that we associate with creation, with, 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 with the established um, mentality that is space and the universe and our matter and biology. As believers, I think, while also being overwhelmed... <laughs> Reading scripture like that, we can have a deep sense of comfort knowing, right, that God, though timeless and eternal, is in time with us right now. Like, think about that. Even though he is timeless and eternal, he could sit up on a throne and see everything and never come into his timeline that he created, yet he does. And he meets us there. So while being timeless in eternal, he also comes into time with us. And I understand that this is a concept hard to grab because we're talking about the duality of God. That all at the same time, he's sitting here and he's also right next to you, crying with you, laughing with you, probably laughing at you sometimes, <laughs> praying for you, comforting you, but also, also at the same time, still here 
saying, son, daughter, I know who you are, and I've seen all of you. What I find super comforting to What I find super comforting as well is even though he was in time with me, he was also in time with King David. He was also in time with Esther. And he was in time with us when he gave his son 2,000 years ago. And Jesus' sacrifice happened in our time because it had to happen in our finite time to be impactful on our finite lives. But here's the thing, right? We aren't just bound by the finite nature of time we are bound to eternity divinely because of our souls and because of who we are on the inside and what's beautiful about this picture of an omniscient god is that it doesn't mean he's not unreachably transcendent it means that he's right here in this moment with us and because he's in the moment he can respond to you how you need That's my favorite part. He sits so far out, he sees all of you, yet he comes in and responds to you how you need. He could be a God that sees all things and sits next to you, right, and says, suck it up. There's something more for you. Suck it up. Come on. Yet he meets you like he met Mary and Martha, right? Sat there and cried with them over Lazarus. He meets you in the same way in time, even though he knows that there is something better beyond that. So literally, the question, like, while preparing this message, I asked myself so many questions, it was getting ridiculous, to be honest. Because this, this truly is putting me in a mental pretzel as we speak. So, I, at, as I'm unpretzeling myself, Bear with me as you unpretzel yourself, and we'll just be undone pretzels. It's going to be great. So this is the question, right? What does, what does omniscience do for us? Like, what, what impact does omniscience have on us, right? And I promise you, in all of the love in my heart, if God knows everything and I don't, why does it matter then? Right? Like, why does it matter? If, if, if quite... If quite plainly, God knows everything, and I'm over here, and I have a peanut brain, and I don't know anything, that discrepancy is bigger than, see again, it's bigger than we can comprehend. Why does it matter to us? Like, what effect does this difference in, in, in knowledge actually have on us? And I'm going to prove it to you, because if you take omnipotence, right, all-powerful, an all-powerful God. We can kind of grab all-powerful things, and I'll prove it to you. We can kind of grab this idea of being all-powerful because we see power active in our lives. We see power happen, right? We see the Holy Spirit move in power, right? We see this powerful presence that's, that, 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 that um, comes in and floods rooms, and you can, you can feel it. You can feel the, the, the power of God. We have testimonies of God working powerfully in people's lives. A person's testimony is God's powerful, transma- the powerful tr- transformation transforming you actively right now. That's power. But truthfully, omniscience sits in such a, a mental space that there's really nothing to gauge it off of. Because I could say, right, like, I could say, like, oh, yeah, like, I know a lot of things because God told me I'd do. 
Does that mean that I, like, how can I prove that to you? Because as soon as I start to prove it to you, it starts to turn physical. It starts to turn to power again. It starts to turn to physical. So how, so how do we comprehend something that sits in here? Knowledge, right? What does omniscience do for us if we cannot possess the all-knowing attribute itself, period? What does it do for us if we cannot possess that? And I think scripture shows us why omniscience is something that we should, one, be aware of, and two, why it is actually an important part of our story. If you have your Bible, you can open up to Acts 8. We, we are going to live in Acts all day today. It's going to be a great, a great, great time. Here's where I think omniscience starts. God sees your past, and God sees your present right now, yet he knows you by your future. God sees your past. He knows your past. God sees your present. He knows your present. Yet he knows you and he sees you by your future, divinely created by him. Remember, omniscience, right, isn't based in time. We talked about that. Omniscience is based in outside of everything that we perceive. Therefore, God, all at the same time, sees your past He sees your present and he sees your future. And what I believe that we're going to look at in this story today is that God definitively sees you by your future. He never sees you by your shortcomings or by by your missteps or anything that has happened before, but he always calls you to something in the future. We're going to look at a man named Saul of Tarsus. I had a person ask me in the first service, is this the same Saul as King Saul? It is not. This is a different Saul. Saul of Tarsus is generally referred to the Pharisee of all Pharisees. So could you imagine being a Pharisee and having a little bit of comfort knowing that you weren't the Pharisee of all Pharisees? It's like, I'm kind of, like, I'm kind of a Pharisee, but hey, Paul or Saul, that dude is the Pharisee. There's like Pharisees and then there's the Pharisee. And so this is who Saul was. He was a religious person in this time period, and quite frankly, he completely objected Jesus's way. He completely objected the way and all people that um, followed suit. And so we are going to pick up his story right here, um, Acts chapter 8, verse 1 through 3. It says this, now Saul agreed to be an accomplice to Stephen's stoning and participated in his execution. From that day on, a great persecution of the church in Jerusalem began. All the believers scattered into the countryside of Judea and among the Samaritans, except the apostles who remained uh, behind in Jerusalem. God-fearing men gave Stephen a proper burial and mourned greatly over his death. Verse 3, then Saul mercilessly persecuted the church of God going from house to house into the homes of believers to arrest both men and women and drag them off to prison. Talk about a bad Wednesday. I'm glad that that's not my life. That I run into homes and I'm ripping people apart because I truly believe this thing. But this is where we find Saul. We find Saul in this place where where, um, Scripture says he mercilessly persecuted the church. It wasn't just like, hey, do you follow Jesus? Okay, are you a cool guy? Because if you're cool, I'll let it slide. And they're like, no, it didn't matter if you were cool. He did not like you. And he wanted nothing to do with, with, with changing into that way. He, he wanted the complete opposite, which was the destruction of the way. 
And so later, what's really cool and why I think we needed to start there is, right, we need a past. We need to see a past. This was Saul's past. Saul's past was the persecution of the church. Saul's past was, was, was um, being an accomplice to Stephen stoning, his murder. And so we pick up in his present right here in Acts 9, 1 through 19, it says this. During those days, Saul, full of angry threats and rage, wanted to murder the disciples of Lord Jesus. So he went to ask the high priest and requested a letter of authorization he could take to the Jewish leaders in Damascus, requesting their, their, their full cooperation in finding and arresting any who were followers of the way, the way that Jesus established Saul wanted to capture all of the believers he found, both men and women, and drag them as prisoners back to Jerusalem. So he obtained the authorization and left for Damascus. Just outside the city, a brilliant light flashing from heaven suddenly exploded all around him. Falling to the ground, he heard a booming voice say, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? The men accompanying Saul, Saul were stunned and speechless, for they heard a heavenly voice, but but, but could see no one. Saul replied, and I love this, pause. Saul, who wanted to destroy everything the Lord established, answers like this. He goes, who are you, Lord? Something in Saul knew. Something in Saul knew who was talking. And could you imagine going most of your life persecuting the very thing that in this moment is gonna save your life? And so he responds and he says, who are you, Lord? And I love this. The Lord could have responded anyway, but he established his name, the name that Saul was trying to tarnish. And, and so we see here, he says, I am Jesus, the victorious, the one you are persecuting. Now get up and go into the city where you will be told what you are to do. So immediately, I think I would have done it immediately as well. Saul stood and even though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. He was blinded. So the men had to take him by the hand and lead him into, into Damascus. For three days, he didn't eat or drink and couldn't see a thing. Living in Damascus was a believer named um, Ananias. I, for some reason, I always say um, Ananias. I, I miss an N. It's ridiculous. Ananias. Um, where are we? Ananias, ba 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 da da da. The Lord spoke to him in a vision, calling his name. Ananias, yes, Lord. The Lord said, Go at once to the street called Abundance and look for a man from Tarsus named Saul. You will find him at Judah's house. While he was praying, he saw a supernatural vision of a man named you coming to lay hands upon him to restore his sight. You know what's cool about that, too? Man, Saul was praying. How crazy is that? Saul was praying. So we get a response, though, and he says this. But Lord, many have told me about his terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has, author um, has authorized him to seize and imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. Look how the Lord responds. He says, arise and go. I have chosen this man to be my special messenger. He, 
he will be brought before kings, before many nations, and before the Jewish people to give them the revelation of who I am, and I will show him how much he is destined to suffer because of his passion for me. So he left and found, found the house where Saul was staying. He went inside and laid hands on him, saying, Saul, my brother, the Lord Jesus who appeared to you on the road has sent me to pray for you so that you might see again and be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit. All at once, the crusty substance that was all over Saul's eyes disappeared and he could see perfectly. Immediately, he got up and was baptized. After eating a meal, his strength returned. Amen. So what we see here in Scripture, frankly, is we see a full 180 transformation in a moment. And I looked up this phrase. It's called momental transformation. I promise you, it's real. Literally, when I was writing this, I wrote momental transformation, and I paused. I was like, that doesn't sound right. And I Googled it, and it was. So take that, Google. It was great. <laughs> momental transformation, quite literally meaning in an instant, in a blink of an eye, something turns completely around 180. We see God meeting Saul and in a divine moment changing the course of his life forever. Guys, God knows his past, what we just talked about, and he knows what he was doing presently. God knows that Saul was persecuting his church. He knows that Saul accomplished the stoning of Stephen. And he also knows his present actively. He was on the road to Damascus to kill more people. Yet God called him by what he was always meant to be. God knew him by what his future was going to be. God knew that he was always meant to be a powerhouse in the kingdom. And he didn't let his past or the present keep that destiny from happening. If we look at the passage again, we see how he responds. Um, sorry, not Saul. Um, we, see, we, we see him say what I think many of us would have said. He says, God, Many have told me about his terrible persecution of those in Jerusalem who are devoted to you. In fact, the high priest has authorized Saul to seize and imprison all those in Damascus who call on your name. We see him here directly say, hey God, I don't know if, if you heard, but this dude's not nice. This is a bad dude. Why, why do you want me to go see him? Also, just like throwing it out there, I follow you, so... And he's killing people of you, so maybe I don't want to go there and see him. And, and, and look again how Jesus responds. This is beautiful. He says, arise and go. I have chosen this man to be my special messenger. He will be brought before kings, before many nations, and before the Jewish people to give them the revelation of who I am. And I will show him how much he is destined to suffer because of his passion for me. Nowhere in this response does Jesus mention anything about Saul's past. Anywhere. He doesn't respond saying, well, you know, you're right about those things, but... He doesn't even acknowledge it. Why? Why would that be? Why would he not acknowledge Saul's past? It's because he's caught, he, he, he sees Saul in a future that Saul has not yet obtained. And he only sees him in that future. Even after um, Ananias 
lets God in on the secret that Saul was not a good dude. Spoiler alert, God knew that. God knew what Saul was doing. Even after he let God in on that, God never mentions to him Saul's shortcomings or his missteps or any of the mistakes he was making, but he calls him to who he was meant to be. He calls him, he says, arise and go and go find the special messenger that I have called. He doesn't say, go find the special person that, yeah, killed a bunch of people, but he's saved now. He doesn't even mention it. And as I was doing this, it got me thinking of like, well, good thing, like we never call people out for, man, their pasts or their shortcomings. Good thing, like we never disqualify people for, 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 for being kingdom changers because of their past. There's no way that that runs rampant in the church sometimes. And honestly, I felt the Lord convict me as everybody should feel that way, not because we're terrible people, but because we sometimes remember our finite time. We remember our finite life. We remember everybody else's finite life, and we forget that God does not care about the finite life. He cares about the eternal life, what happens beyond this life. And so we see it depicted right here with a response to God saying like, dude, do you know what this dude has done? And God goes, yeah, but guess what? I don't care because Saul has a purpose in my kingdom. And quite frankly, I know that you follow me, but you don't get to decide who has a purpose in my kingdom or not. And everybody that has breath has purpose. God has created that within us. And so God, in all of his deserving omniscience, decides to see Saul for who he was created to be. And that, just by seeing him as that, opened the door of opportunity for Saul to live out exactly that. So the truth for us to remember about the omniscience of God is that he sees your past. And he sees what you're doing right now and who you are right now. But he knows you. Like, he knows you. As your future, he knows you how you were destined to be, how God created you before time. He knows you by that. Guys, he's omniscient, which means he sits outside of everything. He knows everything. Therefore, he knows all of the bad things that you've done. And yet he calls you by everything good in you and everything later that is to come for divine purposes in his kingdom. And this is important for us as individuals, but most importantly, when we figure this out, that individually we are all called to a better future, and then we collectively as, as, as a church figure that out, that leads into a foundational truth that we establish, okay? And then guess what happens? We move into action of transformation, I talk to students every Friday. That's my job. And here's what I hear from most students. And forgive me if you're in here. We, we run around the same tree over and over and over. And, we, and we're standing in worship. We're like, God, change me. And we open up an eye and we're like, okay, it's not happening. So I got to walk around the same tree over and over and over. And the reason is because we forget to move into action of transformation. Guys, God transforms you but you have to make a choice to move into action to allow him to do it. 
And the only way that you'll move into action to allow him to do it is if you see yourself as beautiful as God sees you. Is if you see yourself as the holy, completed person that God sees you. And so if we can move into action of transformation and now we are partnering with the Lord, guess what that starts to impact? Eternity. Partnering with God in our finite time right now will impact the outcome of all of eternity. It does. There's no scripture that says it doesn't. Everything points to what we do in this lifetime, what we do with our finite time, impacts directly what we're going to see outside of time in eternity. And because God saw Saul as enough, from the beginning, Saul had an amazing opportunity, and here's the key, to make a choice. Guys, everything will always come back to making a choice. And that choice, right, for Saul was was God could have knocked him to his butt on the road to Damascus, blinded him, and Saul could have stood up and said, I'm going to curse you even more now. I hate you even more now for doing what you did to me. I'm going back and I'm persecuting your church even harder. Or the one that he took was God met him in an encounter, changed his life in a moment, and now Saul stepped in, stepped into what he was called for all along. And none of that happens if an omniscient God does not see that Saul was always meant to be completed. Acts 9, uh, verse 22, finishes up, up the chapter, and it says this, within the house, sorry, within the hour he was in the synagogues, Within the hour of being prayed for, unblinded, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized, and then he ate a meal. Within the hour, he was in the synagogues preaching about Jesus and proclaiming Jesus is the Son of God. What if we, after encountering the Lord here on a Sunday morning, within the hour, went out and proclaimed that Jesus is the Son of God? What would this world look like? Sometimes, if you're anything like me, putting it back on me too, this, this whole thing's for me too. Sometimes I leave this place and I go eat and I take a nap and that nap feels great. And then guess what? Monday happens and then we're right back to my work and my job and my family and you get caught back in the monotony of your day to day and we forget the transformational encounter that you may have had on Sunday morning. And we see Saul right here in this moment have that transformational encounter with an all-knowing God, all-seeing God, all-powerful God. And he, within the hour, it's not even like he slept. It was within the hour of him being fully transformed. He's like, I need to go tell somebody right now how good God is. Right after that, it says, those who heard him were astonished, saying amongst themselves, Ooh, man, we always will, though, face people that will always question your past. And we see it here. We see people say, isn't this the Saul who, who, who persecuted those in Jerusalem, who called out the name, uh, sorry, uh, per persecuted those in Jerusalem who called on the name of Jesus. Didn't he come here with permission to drag them off and take them as prisoners? Saul's power increased greatly as he became more and more proficient in proving that Jesus was the anointed Messiah. 
Saul remained there for several days with the disciples, even though it agitated the Jews of Damascus. If we flip over to Acts 9, 26, verse 28, sorry, Acts 9, verse, verse 26, it says this, when Saul arrived in Jerusalem, he attempted to introduce himself to the fellowship of the believers, but everyone was afraid of him because they doubted he was a true disciple. Barnabas came to his defense and brought, uh, um, sorry, and brought him before the apostles. Saul, Saul shared with them his supernatural experience of seeing the Lord who spoke with him on the road to Damascus. Barnabas also told them how boldly Saul preached throughout the city in Jesus' mighty name. Then they accepted him as a brother and he remained with them, joining them wherever they went in Jerusalem, boldly preaching in the power and the authority of Jesus. So we see here, right, Paul, Paul now, Saul partnering with God, partnering with God, changing the world through his finite time. And here is something, it's a small little subplot that I think the church can take away. We see him, we see him in this passage basically afraid because everybody was doubting that he was a true follower. And here's where I think the church comes in. Guess who stood up for him? Barnabas. Community. The church. Barnabas did not know Saul's heart, but guess what? He knew the father's heart. And he knew that God knew everything. Therefore, he did not question Saul's transformation. He just let it happen. And I hope that that's an encouragement for us today to remind us that there are people in this room, there are people, a part of this church, that are called to more, and we are called to come alongside them in community and raise them up, not question if they're called or not, or not disqualify them for whatever happened before. And so we see it here. We see it in Scripture right here. We see also, and this is important, the partnership with God, it started to, 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 to um, um, build and increase power and authority. So we see all of this, this, this change in Saul. And later, he's named Paul. We see all of this stuff. And we see him truly partner with the Lord. And because of this partnership that Paul built with the Lord, Paul, along with Barnabas, along with 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 um, all of the apostles were able to work in power, able to work in power, having the authority of God working through them wherever they went. Wasn't this man, I literally, while writing this, guys, literally I asked this question to myself. Wasn't this the man that was killing Christians two chapters ago? I literally asked myself that question. And guess what? It was. It sure was. But again, because God knew Saul by his future as Paul, Paul had a choice to step into what God had or step out of it. And the partnership in the finite time that Paul had here on earth was directly impacting eternity. Directly impacting eternity. Paul's partnership with the Lord in moments like that with, with, with churches and cities and people groups was 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 um, leading all of them to believing in the Lord. What Paul was doing on earth was directly impacting the heavenly realms. Directly. God's omniscience isn't meant to control everyone, 
and control every outcome. God's omniscience is one of his greatest examples of compassion. One of his greatest examples of compassion. Think about this. As as we see Saul and we read through this, God being omniscient points more directly to seeing who you have been and what you have done and still God knowing you by your divine calling for the kingdom. God doesn't care who wins the Super Bowl next year. And guess what? He knows. And it's probably the Pittsburgh Steelers. <laughs> Amen. Just solidify that in prayer. Thank, th- thank you, Father. Um, guess what? He doesn't care, but he knows. So why does he possess this? It's so that you know what your future is. And that you know that there's a God and a Father sits in heaven, seated royalty, and he looks at you and he sees you by that, not what you were before. Every time we look in the mirror, and if you're anything like me, this happens to me quite often. Every time I look in the mirror, sometimes I see my timeline. And I see all of the problems. I see all the mistakes. I see every misstep I took. I see every word that I spoke wrongly. I see every time that I hurt somebody. I see every broken part of me. I see the issues that keep me from living close to the Lord. But because of God and because his compassionate nature, he chooses to reset your timeline every time he sees you. How beautiful is that? He chooses to reset the image, the image that you see yourself. He chooses to reset that every time that he sees you. Guys, in in his infinite knowledge of you and your life, he sees you in the holy, perfected image he created you in. Every time. In, In his infinite knowledge of your brokenness, And the problems and the issues you have, he chooses to see you in the holy, perfected image he created you in. He sees you transformed before the transformation happens. He sees you completely different before you are actually completely different. There is no eternity with you as you are right now. I just blew my own mind. There's no eternity with you as you are right now. Do you know why? Because the Bible says the only time that we're wholly perfect, ready for eternity, is when we are face to face with the Father. And he completes the transformation process. Think about this. When we finally meet Jesus face to face, our transformation is complete. In the beauty, and I literally cried in the first service, so I'm trying not to cry this time. Guys, the beauty is that we finally, here it comes. The beauty, guys, is that we finally become what Jesus has seen us as all along. Like, think about, think about this moment. You're going to be standing face to face with Jesus, and he's going to look at you and go, son and daughter, you look just as beautiful as I've always seen you. He's not going to say, hey, you look beautiful now. It was tough back then. He's going to look at you and say, man, you look, you look just like I've always known you. You look, you look just 
how I created you. And the beauty in that at the core of omniscience is his compassion, the mercy and the grace that he has for each and every single one of us, that every misstep step we have taken and the indent that we've left, left there, God, God is refilled. You look back and there's no missteps. There's no brokenness. There's nothing there. And we finally become whole when we see him face to face. And the best part, again, is that he, he doesn't view it as, well, you finally became whole. He sees it as, no, you look exactly how you were meant to be. And remember, he sits outside of all of that. And yet, when you see him face to face, he's going to go, hey, I saw everything, but I know you as this. I saw everything, but I know you by what I've called you to be. As God saw, God saw Saul's past when he was associated with Stephen stoning and while still omniscient in compassion, he saw him as Paul. God saw Saul's present when he was on the road to Damascus to kill more Christians and in his omniscience in compassion, he still saw him as Paul. How do you think God sees you? Because if you're anything like me, I think he sees me broken sometimes. And I think he sees me mistaked. And I think he sees me with the issues. And the reality is he knows all of those things about me already. And yet he chooses to see me in the holy, perfected light that he created me in. And he chooses to see you in the holy, perfected light that he created you in. And you, and you, and you. This is the power of omniscience. It's not to know everything and to know the answer to every question. The, the, the power actually lies in the infinite knowledge of everything and then being able to, to deduce it back down to, but I love you and I'm giving you grace for every single thing that I've seen you do. And I call you to something that I've always wanted you to be. Think about that. Every moment I think God doesn't see, he did. And guess what? He saw it before I I took a breath. Yet he's called me this entire time to something that I wasn't even going to be yet. I have a mentor. Her name is Becky Eichema. There we are. In a field. Worshiping Jesus. <laughs> kind of strange out of context, to be honest. Um, I consider her to be a driving force in, in the person that I am today. Um, she was the worship pastor at a church that, that um, um, I co-led with her. Um, and when I went to this church, to be honest with you, I was in a season where all I saw in my reflections were the broken parts. I... I saw all of the missteps. I saw all, all the, the, the problems. I saw all the issues. I saw all the things that everybody else was telling me that I was. I saw all of the things that every single person said was a part of my story, but I thought it was a clean slate after Jesus, but people would keep bringing things up and they would pile it on, pile it on, pile it on. And in this season of my life, Becky acted as an anchor for me emotionally and spiritually and I remember uh, I was having a tough day and I will never forget this moment and we 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 were 
sitting and we were having a conversation and she said something to me that I'm going to share with you today. She said, Ty, God designed each one of us to carry purpose forward. We can't get caught standing still, staring at reflections of our past. As the whole purpose of our being is to advance the kingdom, we can't get caught standing still, staring at things that can't affect you anymore. the whole kingdom is standing still, the kingdom's not moving. If I'm pointing out other believers' problems and their issues from their past, and I'm carrying the mirror, guess what? I am a hindrance to the kingdom. If we are not helping to shatter each other's mirrors, then the church the big C church, the global church, the kingdom cannot move forward. And I say all of this to wrap up the omniscience of God because, again, we are called to be, the, to, 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 um, be, to be likened image to God. And if God, in the story of Saul, never saw his past or his present, and he called him by his future, and we're called to do that. Why don't we do that? And we don't even have omniscience. And the God of omniscience doesn't do it. What gives me the right not possessing omniscience to do it? So how do you think God sees you? Again, um, I talk to students each week, which is great. Sometimes you have to do a little bit more practical step to help them, di- to help them take things in, and we're going to do that right now. I want everybody to close their eyes, and we're going to do what we call a heart and soul moment. And here's the thing. I'm going to ask you two questions, and here's the thing. I want you to ask God these two questions. First one is, God, how do you see me? Simple. God, how do you see me? And the second question I want you to ask is, God, what do I do? How do you see me? And what am I supposed to do? At this time, I'm going to invite the prayer team to come up. And here's what we do on Fridays. I want you to sit in the moment. I want you to talk to God. I want you to hear God. Ask him those questions. And what he gives you, here's the response, guys. What he gives you, I want you to come down and solidify it in prayer. There's no reason not to. I 100% fully trust and believe that God is going to tell you exactly who you're meant to be and how he sees you and what, and what you're supposed to do with that knowledge. And the only thing that I think is appropriate in response to that is to coming in union with God again and praying and thanking him for it. So again, how, God, how do you see me? And God, what should I do with that? God, we are thankful for you today. We are thankful for how you move. We are thankful for your revelation. God, I pray right now 
that the words that you speak over us, the words that you spoke to each heart, I pray that we are reminded that in your grace and compassion, you see us as beautiful. And I pray that as a church, we can move forward and we can be on fire for you, knowing that partnering with you in our finite time will impact eternity out of time. God, I'm thankful for your revelation. I'm thankful for transformation. And I pray that each one of us can start to move into the action of transformation. So then as a church, we can, um, we, we, we can carry each other to what God has called each other to be. God, we are thankful for you. I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, you are dismissed. Uh, giving stations are in, in the back again, and I'd say this to the students because the students are stubborn. If you felt anything or you heard something, pray about it. That's homework. Like right now, come up to the front, solidified in prayer. I promise you, it will do you wonders when you come in union with God and say, God, thank you for that. Trinity Online, thank you for joining us today. We are thankful that you were here. Uh, with that being said, enjoy your toasty, toasty Sunday um, and make sure you do something within the hour that impacts the kingdom. Okay, bye. Thanks for listening to the Trinity Community Church Podcast. We hope this met you exactly where you are. To learn more about us, head to our website at tccde.com or follow us on social media at Trinity Community Church. TCC, a home for you.